Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of The Back Peg. You're listening to the Uplate edition for this week. If you haven't checked it out, do listen to our first part of this week's episode. We were joined by the wonderful Joe Brennan from us in Spain, more specifically Madrid, to talk everything about this Rubiales situation in Spain following the Women's World Cup final here in Sydney about a fortnight ago now, and this story just keeps rumbling on and on. This is the Uplate. We're going to talk about that a little bit more and anything else that caught our eye over the past week of football. And joining me on the pod once more, as always, Laz, a pleasure. And how good was that with Joe? Yes, Nathan. Uh, absolutely great to welcome back Joe to the back pick. Um, it, this story is just fascinating. And and I'm sitting there listening to you and I'm thinking, what world are we living in? We just had a Women's World Cup final played in Sydney, right? Less than two weeks ago. Spain win it. And then all you know, shit, it's a fan. Um, proverbially, you know, it's absolutely bananas. It really is. It's like, and also, I mean, you know, Joe mentioned that there would be uncle, you know, the others speaking out. And like, I actually came across a really good post today. And what really we should be talking about is this, right? And it's, um, from Common Goal, uh, who I follow on LinkedIn. And, um, first team in history to hold all three. Uh, under 17, under 20, and senior World Cup titles simultaneously, right? They're the first nations to do that. It's, you know, incredible. 19-year-old Parawel became the first player of any gender to win at every level. She won the under-17 tournament in 2018, under-20 tournament in 2022, and the 2023 World Cup, right? You know, uh, Alexia Pateas, first player in history to win the World Cup, Champions League twice, Ballon d'Or twice, a treble, and the best FIFA women's player. You know, it's absolutely just, you know, you could keep going on and on. And it's just nuts. It really is nuts. Um, you know, five and a half million viewers in Spain watched the final. So, you know, and Spain became the second country joining Germany to win the men's and women's World Cup. So they're the only two nations to have done it. So, yeah, it's, and instead we're talking about, was there a, you know, um, well, we're not talking about it, but some of the things that have been mentioned is, was there a relationship with, you know, even alluded to between, you know, it would be Alice and uh, Hermoso. And, I mean, the fact is that's immaterial. It's irrespective. It's a workplace. You know, it's an unwanted advance. You can't do those kind of things at all, you know, and expect to get away with it and be. So um, that's the word I'm looking for. Foolish, I'll say. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a, one of the word, better word. Um, and trying to maintain your position as if you're a dictator. Because that looked like a thing from a dictatorship that uh, General Assembly made. Yeah, it's amazing. There's so many sporting angles you can look at the past Women's World Cup from. All those achievements that you mentioned, the brilliant performances of, of Bon Marti and Jenny Amoso, yeah. and so many other players in that squad. There's ample, there is ample sporting angles to look at this. But as Joe mentioned right at the end of the interview, that during the course of that, we didn't mention too many players. And this story with Rubiales and, to a lesser extent, now Jorge Vilda, it's just completely taken over. And, and it shouldn't have. It should, it should not have. have. It should and not have. It's taken the Spanish national team to win a World Cup for everyone to pay attention to what they've been saying for some time before the tournament started. This is something that's been bubbling away for a long time now. And yes, the spotlight of winning a World Cup can really amplify some stories, but... It shouldn't take winning, as we mentioned with Joe, for these sort of sort of things to come out because there's, I'm sure, plenty of other cases around the world in national team setups who, look, let's be honest, are never going to be able to win a World Cup. And so where's their time 
yeah. to get in the spotlight and highlight the issues that they face. Yeah, correct. And the fact is, is that I don't think if it was the head of the FA in England or the Football Australia here, right, the CEO or the chairman, that they would act in such a idiotic way. I, I haven't got a better word, unfortunately, mm. right? And then to have the uh, arrogance of saying, you know, you know, and not even say, hey, you know, I have to up the heat of the moment, like not the heat of the moment, but it's not an excuse. I should, I'm just going to step down because it'd be better for everyone. But that was still in the cars at some point. I think maybe at the time of that extraordinary general meeting, if he came out with an apology and said, I'll go through like some course training and no. so on, I'm, I think there may have been You've an opportunity to save some face there. you got to step down. I think at that point, it, it's not great, but it's not completely unsavable from that point. From what he did on that night and everything since, yeah. now it is completely untenable and there is Correct. no resolution whatsoever here. Correct. And when you look at it, you go, and I, like, I thought, okay, well, he's a bit excited. Right, he's obviously quite happy that you know, he's a national team of one. Um, and but I didn't actually think that there was a full until I saw it the next day. And I thought to myself, what are you doing? I mean, mm. we, you know, and and obviously it all blew up. Really, it blew up after we last recorded, right? And so it, we had the extraordinary general meeting, and and the um, you know the players um, signed their um, um, that official letter. So. Yeah, it's just a, it really is a dog's breakfast. And he's brought this upon the organisation through his um, behaviour. And as a result, it's obviously thrown light on the issues, some of the issues, um, which have uh, preceded this tournament and around, uh, you know, the Spanish FA. So, and when you get other administrators in Spain that are widely unpopular, notably Javier Tebas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he's he not has the his most... critics. Yeah, he does. He does indeed. <laughs> if you've got someone like him coming out and putting a statement that completely chastises Rubiales, then it, it really does amplify the situation. And look, Spanish football may not be for everyone. And on the pitch, like you can yes, it's a, it's a beautiful game and yeah. passing moves, construction, these sorts of things. Um, perhaps compared to, say, German football, a bit lower on the goals front. Mm-hmm. So maybe for overall excitement, perhaps a little bit less than other leagues. But tell you what, mm. boardroom drama, 10 out of 10. The, the, yeah, well, <laughs> it's not a laugh. It, look, I know we're laughing. You can laugh about it. It's laughable, but it shouldn't be laughable, right? And it's not necessarily only boardroom drama, right? It's political drama. It's politics. It's yeah. the football political scene. I mean, we yeah. only thought that, you know, it's bananas, it's absolutely but this regional is the setup that they have for the RFEF. If it lends itself to um, political manipulation, or you know, as far as or political influence, I should say, whoever's got the numbers is obviously going to get in, and you've got a large number of numbers to get, so you've got to do a bit of um, butt kissing to a degree, or have something over someone. Now mm. it seems like that's the latter. You know, I mean, we're only getting a small snippet of what the political landscape is with regards to Spanish football. And it's, um, yeah, it's absolutely bananas. Absolutely bananas. Yeah, for sure. And Rubiales is taking a lot of the heat, as he should. But also, it should be pointed at everybody who gave him that standing ovation a week ago. Questions should be asked of every single one who got up and applauded him for staying. Because even at that point, the writing was on the wall. And I just said that it was a very slight chance it may have been savable. But at that point, surely everyone knew the end point here, the end goal, the end resolution. And... The sort of things that we've seen in mm. the case of Rubiales and Jorge Vilda, I'm sure it just scratches the surface. I, I get the impression that Vilda's guilty, like obviously guilty by 
association because he's considered to be Rubialis's man rather than, you know. And and like I said before, I think there's like he's appears to have been the go-between between the team, the players and the association. But now that position is untenable in, in it, you know, to think that he might actually try and salvage a role out of this somehow or some kind of, you know, a step back or a settlement, an employment settlement, well, I think they need a clean slate. I think they really need a clean slate. Yeah, and I don't know how realistic that is, to be honest, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's just that this will make a really good Netflix documentary series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely nuts. It really I mean, is nuts. We had a good one for the last World Cup back in November, mm. a Netflix series specifically. Mm. Maybe we'll get another one off the back of this. And yes, we the Spanish expect- team. Sorry, no, I was going to say we weren't expecting this one. No, we certainly weren't. And yes, the Spanish team have won the big prize on the field. And I'm sure there's plenty of individual awards still to come. I think uh, Bon Mati might be a shoe in for the Ballon d'Or, depending FIFA. on how, how the rest of the year goes. Yeah, and, and the FIFA best, perhaps, as well. Yeah, and the FIFA best. I still count the Ballon d'Or slightly higher, but that's a topic for another day. No, I don't. Anyway, but <laughs> it seems as though they shouldn't have to do this, but they might be getting a bigger prize. Ballon d'Or. Ballon d'Or is just a fancy name. That's all it's got. It's only a fancy <laughs> French name. It's only voted on by journalists. So what the hell do they know? <laughs> Select journalists as well at that. Mm, mm, yes, and national team managers. I thought that was the FIFA best. Is it not both? No, God, no. FIFA, oh. Ballon d'Or is just a uh, media-driven oh, okay, uh, thing. It's like L'Equipe, you know. Mm. The French want to have that. Uh, it was the home of FIFA originally. Yeah. So, we, but, you know, when France wins yes. the World Cup, hang on. So when France wins the World Cup, does football go home then? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a French town that rhymes with home or Rome, as it was for <laughs> Italy winning the Euros. <laughs> uh, sorry. My mean... French, French geography is not uh, up to scratch. I don't know, Bordeaux, Marseille, Nice, mm. Lille, Paris. Mm. Yeah, I can't think of one. Anyway. Grenoble, but that's about it. But yes, Laz, it seems as though the women's team have won the World Cup, but they may also be winning a bigger prize in a standing in the game and respect and getting rid of the likes of Rubiales and Jorge Vilda, at least from the managerial dugout. Mm. They shouldn't have to be aiming and achieving those prizes either, but nonetheless, it looks like they're going to be achieving it. Yeah, look, I agree with you there, Nathan. Look, this could be the you know a positive thing in the long term as far as trying to... Um, affect a cultural change that um, that might you know that might be felt to be needed in Spain and across you know and, and be an example for um, for other federations across the continent perhaps because um, I'm sure that these views are exclusive to Spain they hmm. you know they would be inherent in some other uh, European countries no doubt yeah there'll be some characters in other countries that are looking over the shoulder perhaps or sort of getting a, a little bit of a, a little feeling in the neck or in the throat about uh, some of their own personal views, but uh, we're not here to name names. Um, Laz, shall we move on from this story? Is there Absolutely. anything else you want to talk about? Oh, just Real Madrid and how, you know, how I got that right. <laughs> uh, they're good again, aren't they? Uh, Bellingham, Bellingham, Bellingham. August player of the month. We'll have to, yeah, well, quite rightly. Mm-hmm. Quite rightly. So, what is it? Him and Ronaldo, the only players to score in the first three games? I believe that's for, right. For the yeah. club? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And he's not a goal scorer, of course. No, of course not. But uh, he's, yeah, he's taken it to it very well. He's taken it to it and very well. And he's a well. bargain. Yes, relatively. With hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight. Wasn't seen at the time, but 
Declan Rice, Moises Caicedo, and company. Uh, Bellingham any day of the week. Yeah. So, what a signing it is. Yeah. What a signing it is. And look, maybe one day he'll be wanting to leave Real Madrid to go back to England and try his luck in the Premier League. But Are you crazy? Why, why would he do that for? <laughs> <laughs> to get the England side. <laughs> doesn't need to. No, he's no, not <laughs> well, it dep- depends who the manager is. <laughs> yeah, just ask like Tamori or Smalling or yeah, uh, a number right. of other players. Yeah, Correct, correct. I think somehow he'll be okay. Yeah, I think so as well. <laughs> and along with Harry Kane. Mm, he's had a good start to life as well. Oh, I saw him in the in the uh, and Yes. Getting ready for uh, <laughs> Oktoberfest. And eating the uh, the white sausage. Yeah, and Thomas Moore is showing him how to eat it. Yes, and apparently that, it tastes better than it looks. That just which sounds wrong. I'm, I, I would hope so. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. Just sounds wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, Laz. What caught your eye this week? Uh, I was well. I was going to ask you that question, Nathan. But okay, seeing that you've uh, come to us about it, um, there. Well, aside from Newcastle's disappointing result against Liverpool, which yeah, I'm we're still, coming to that. Which I'm still going to. Oh, can we do that now? <laughs> All right, I, I, I'm really going to buy that. You'll get mean, it out of the way. Yeah, Real Madrid <laughs> was great. Newcastle United not so great. Although you know, yeah, if they were okay up until the 80th minute, Eddie Howe threw it away. Yeah, he did. He did. It's he his did. fault they lost. Yes, it is. Correct. I can't, well, yeah, I can't disagree with you there. I, I want to. Mm. I can, oh, God, I want to disagree with you. <laughs> but I can't. I can't. I, can't I mean, take, with you. you say they were right up until the 80th minute. It was the 70th minute they made the mistake in the substitutions. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, as far as the 80th minute before Nunez uh, strikes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the game should have been by that anyway. Yeah, 70th minute effectively mm. is where, where the game changed. But Why yeah, did yep. Gordon come off? Yeah. He was he, terrorising Trent. He was on fire, wasn't he? <laughs> and and Alexander, Alexander Arnold should have been sent off, mind you. Ah, uh, yes, he should have, but he shouldn't have got the first one. No, yeah, okay. He should have got the second, but he shouldn't have got the first. Sh- yeah, okay, fair enough. Sorry, no, he should have got the I, second, yeah. but he shouldn't have got the first. Yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> Yep. It is up late, but yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, look, aside from that, I mean, if you want to talk about Newcastle United a bit more, happy to, right? But um, but yeah, that was the the most disappointing thing about uh, it was the actual result itself, right? Um, playing against the 10 men and, and Newcastle United needed another goal and that wasn't forthcoming. Whilst it was only 1-0 the whole time, I, I was scared and my fears came to fruition, unfortunately. I didn't even think it was going to be one of those games, you know, where <laughs> this is you leave it at one nil and Liverpool come back to punish the team that didn't oh. take the chances. I didn't think, I didn't see it coming, to be honest. Oh man, Liverpool have got something on Newcastle. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's sometimes just you, you know you get these clubs and you know they're the bane of your existence. I don't mind Liverpool, right? I mean, to be honest, I prefer them compared to your mob, but. Um, <laughs> I still, you know, I can't agree. <laughs> well, I don't expect it to, right? But it, it's just something about well, and maybe it's Eddie Howe's record against Klopp, which is terrible, right? But yeah, just Liverpool just seem to have the wood on Newcastle. And it's just, a, you know, it's annoying as shit, really. But anyway, if I can be just brutally honest, and the injury to Sven Botman, I haven't heard an update on mm. whether it's a long-term one or not. But if it is, I wasn't too impressed with Dan Byrne playing centre back. Yeah, we don't have any other choice at the moment aside from Lascelles. So and I think that's where we need to I, I don't really think I'd rather see Lascelles over Dan Burnett centre-back. To be honest, 
I wish they'd gone for Maverick Palace and it's gone to West Ham. Yeah. I, I can't believe that he was on the market and, and Newcastle didn't go for him. Laz, can I interest you in... A no, you can't. <laughs> a fully fledged England no, international. No, hey, listen, I can't be. Who likes playing on the left side listen, of a back four? I can't be more equivocal, <laughs> right? This right, this episode's getting the E as it is. Right? <laughs> Do not mention that guy's name, okay? I'm not having him. I'm not having him. Let him go to. Um, oh, where was he slated to go? Somebody wants him. It was West Ham. Okay, well, well, they've gone well. Obviously, he's not going there because Maverick Palace has gone there. Apparently, they came back in for him, but he said no. And what? And so Newcastle should go after him. <laughs> hey, they've got a spot. Fuck off. They've got a spot for I a, I can't a be, left centre back. I, I can't be any nicer. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that guy. Honestly, a Mack truck turns quicker than him. <laughs> Mate, there are guys playing over forty fives that would do a better job than him. <laughs> I'm telling you that now. He's still going to be in the England squad. Of course he is, because look who the manager is. Yep. And That's going to get announced tonight. And the, the manager will pick know. him, right? And really, he shouldn't. How can Just he... like he shouldn't be picking Jordan Henderson either, but well, reports are he's going to be in there. I'm not surprised with that either. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised, but he shouldn't be in there. He shouldn't be in there. Although, look, uh, I didn't see England's last matches. Oh, I don't recall. I only saw highlights of him. And Henderson was England's best player again. It's, it's you know, aside from Bellingham. Like, Southgate has got to move on. He can't pick Maguire, and he can't pick, and I mentioned his name, but thanks. <laughs> and, he, and, um, and he you know, he can't pick um, Henderson, really. No. I think surely Harry Maguire is getting to the end of his England career now because, I, look, if he went to West Ham, I could see a route where he goes to the Euros at the end of the season. Nathan. I think David Moyes would absolutely love him, right? No, and he'd be good at West Ham. He would be good at West Ham. Right, I understand that, but well, or would he? No, I disagree. No, he'd be very good at West End. No, he wouldn't, mate. Mm. I've said it before, and you said you, you can't say that, and I'll say it again. The guy should be playing in the championship <laughs> at best, right? At best, if not League One, honestly, I just don't rate him. I don't rate him, right? I don't got nothing against the guy aside from you know getting away with something aggressive that he shouldn't have, right? And he was very lucky. <laughs> That's where it comes from. That's right. But no, um, but uh, no, but all jokes aside, right? He has played well for England when he's been called upon. No dispute about that. But what does that say about England? Yeah. I mean, when when the guy can't even start for Manchester United, for goodness sake. mm. Well, you know, he can't. I think partly because England have had a little bit of a shortage when it comes to centre halves. Like, it wasn't that long ago where it was Harry Maguire alongside Eric Dyer. Man, Dyer's going too. Yeah, he is Dyer. Dyer will be going to Bayern, I think. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is absurd. Harry Kane needs how someone. On, how on earth is Eric Dyer going to fall upwards to Bayern? <laughs> they should be going for Jao Paulinho. Seems like they're in for him as well. It's just a case of price. Yeah. And I think if Jao Paulinho goes to Bayern, that sends Fulham down. Yeah, I think Fulham are in trouble. But anyway. Oh, aside we- from, they've got a great manager though. But yeah, at the moment, they've got a great manager. The manager might be in the dugout of a bigger side before the end of the season. Okay, just tell me. What are you foreseeing well, with I, Nathan's, I Nathan's crystal ball? Let's go. <laughs> or crystal, necessarily... or crystal orb, I should say. Crystal orb, not a ball. Mm. I haven't necessarily got a club in mind, but inevitably there's going to be some sackings inside the top half teams in the Premier League because someone's going to be 8th or ninth at Christmas and they're not going to be happy about it, whoever it is. And when that time comes, I think Marco Silva's going to be very much on a short list. And... We've seen that 
he's not one to stick around at a project out of loyalty through his days at was at Watford. He got ship moved over to West Ham very quickly. But I mean, you lose Mitrovic. Doesn't look like they're replacing him as of yet. They got about eighteen hours to do that. No, more than that. But more, not long. More, more than that. Um, if they lose Joao Polinho this late in the window and the manager goes in a few months, they're in real trouble. But getting back to England, I think the emergence of Levi Colwell is more a factor on what happens with Harry Maguire rather than Maguire's performances in isolation. He's a gem, Colwell. Mm. You happy with him? I'd pick him if I was England manager. He'd be in the team. Can't dis- I can't disagree with you because they're very light on um, centre-halves in England. Right? I don't like calling them centre-halves because they're not, but anyway, the centre-backs, goodness sakes, centre-halves. The old language, lads. The old language. It's the old language. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I, I don't know where England goes. I mean, chances are Raheem Sterling will get a call up again because he scored two goals against Luton. Yeah, I mean, he's one of Southgate's favourites anyway. It wouldn't take much. No, not seemingly. But um, yeah, yeah. What else put you I right, think, Nathan? Oh, oh we uh, we slightly missed the story that came out at the back end of last week mm-hmm. and. The news cycle's kind of moved on from it already, so mm. we won't spend too long on it. But uh, mm. this interview with Mike Dean, okay, yes, it came out a few hours after the podcast went out last week. Yep, brilliant timing. Yep, well, Simon, Simon Jordan. Yes, it's his, it's his fault. <laughs> yes, it is his fault, and it's also <laughs> Uwe's fault that uh, we won't be able to report on the Champions League group stage draw. I mean, who holds because... it two o'clock in the morning Sydney time? I think mean, I know. <laughs> there, how, how inconsiderate. <laughs> but we'll even still, the these thing. things are usually at 10, 11 p.m. Something like that. Yeah, well, I know that the Europa League and the Conference League will have their groups announced at 10 a.m. Oh, sorry, 10 p.m. tomorrow outside. But yes, I recall those days when they used to, you know, they went so long ago. And now they move it to 2, you know, 2 a.m., which is effectively mm-hmm. what? Um, uh, 5 p.m. UK. 5 p.m. UK, yeah. So, But yeah. yes, Mike Dean basically admitting that he prioritised the relationship of his mates over getting football decisions right. And... For many, it's just a confirmation of uh, what they've been thinking for some time now, that the refereeing body is just uh, an old boys club. Uh, I don't know what to make of this one. Look, my takeaway from listening to the podcast was that he had some empathy, obviously, for his mate, but that's not the biggest takeaway I got from it. One is that um, he was not fit for purpose as far as the VAR role was considered. I think refereeing on a field for him and refereeing in a office chair and trying to, to view screens and all that are two different skill sets, and he wasn't adept to the skill set required to be a VAR, and that's where those judgment calls came in, rather than saying, mate, go and check the you know the monitor. I need you to go to the monitor. But this has been the biggest gripe of VAR deployment in England, is that they won't send their referees to the monitor. Right, because they're scared. Like, because I think you know, you've mentioned to me before. I can't believe that if a referee is sent to a monitor, they get a blemish against their name, as it were. Yeah, it's marked as a wrong decision. In that's wrong. The same sense that a missed offside would be for a liner. No, that's wrong. It is. It's called yeah. video assistant referee. They're there it's to assist. They're there to assist the referee. Mm. Am and I missing surely- something? Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And there would be a scenario, I'm sure it happened, where if an, a referee gets sent to a screen for a couple of weeks on a row, in a row, they will get sent to referee a championship game or they miss a week. Isn't that wrong? And they're punished 
yeah. for going to the monitor. That's wrong. It's entirely backwards, the entire system. No wonder everyone's throwing their hands up in the air and saying, what the hell's going on with this system? So, Why has it been implemented so much yeah. better in international it, tournaments or correct, correct. Because leagues there's no on the stigma. continent? Yeah, because there's no stigma or shame with actually sending a referee to the monitor associated with those tournaments, right, or those competitions as compared to England. And I'm at a point now, I said, where those in the VR room should be independent of those who are out on the field. And they there shouldn't be any pre-existing relationship between the two bodies. Yes, they should be referees, but they shouldn't be a part of the same PGMOR body because no, I agree with you. they've proven that they are unable to self-govern with the best interest of the game in mind. That's come out this week. And it's something that many have suspected for a very long time, that by whatever reasoning, the referees in the Premier League are not up to scratch. And clearly, from this interview with Mike Dean, it, getting decisions right is not the number one priority. And if you can't govern by yourself adequately, then you need some assistance and you need to be shown how to do it properly and this situation needs to be remedied. So for mine, there should be two separate bodies and there should be completely separate entities. I disagree with you, then. Hard to disagree with you. So, yes, there you go. Shall we move on? We shall move on. And, Laz, this caught my eye today. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but we're going across the other side of the world here to Liga MX. Okay. Have you seen this? I haven't seen it. This is a game between... Was, damn, on. did a referee punch someone in the nuts? No. Okay, no. am I close? You're not... Too, you, I mean, I wouldn't say you're close, but you're not a million miles away. Okay. All right, because that's... You recall that's what <laughs> happened in Lego <laughs> MX. Yes. <laughs> no referees involved this time. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Not in the incident it. itself. Okay, good. But a player for Keretaro, mm-hmm. Omar Mendoza, right. received a red card today. Yep. For what people in this part of the world will call doing a hopawadi. Oh, no. You're kidding. <laughs> oh, no. I've forgotten about that term. <laughs> I mean, doing a hopper. Uh, the trouble is, well, you're going to have to explain this move <laughs> to people that aren't familiar with that situation. So the term comes about from a rugby league player, player for Manly at the time, John Hopawadi, mm-hmm. who mid tackle. Uh, would like to uh, put his finger where you don't particularly want to put your finger. Where the sun don't shine. Yes, of the opposition players. Correct. And he did it repeatedly and was often suspended for it, but he continued to do it. And thus, Hopper was the term. Omar Mendoza, today in Liga MX, has reenacted the Hopper. So he was doing Mendoza. Yes. I think it's got a new name now. Yep, sure does. (laughs) And there was a VAR review. Oh, of course there was. <laughs> uh, pardon me, sorry. So it was done while both players were standing up. I don't want to know the specifics of this. So he, just... he's reached over and... Done no, it. can you just stop right there? So the VARs asked the referee Mendo- to go over Mendo- the pitch side monitor. Mendoza's is a grub. <laughs> yes, he is. And I think... The referee has taken one glance at the monitor. He hasn't looked at it. He hasn't stared at it. And he hasn't seen a slow motion replay. He's like, no, nah, fuck this. You're going off. <laughs> Get off. Yes. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be worried if they had to actually go, all right, well, I'm going to rewind. Hang on. I need you to go back. <laughs> you know. Forward, reverse, forward, Yeah, reverse. I'd be really worried about that if they had to do that. But um... <laughs> It was almost like you didn't need the replay for some forward and reverse action. I just stopped. I was going to mention Mexico, but I can't do that now because that's so distasteful and I don't want to, you know, yes. But uh, anyhow, we'll get back to Mexico, hopefully, in a better light later on. So, 
Where shall we go to from here, Nathan? Uh, good question. I've, I've got something. Go on. All right. So I don't normally talk, like to talk about other sports on here, but... Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, I mean, we already mentioned rugby league just then. Yeah, you did. The AFLW returns. Mm-hmm. Right? And headline, do the same for us. AFLW returns as Matilda's encore. Mm, I mean, okay. wouldn't be the first time the AFL is trying to piggyback off football. Yeah. Nicole Livingston. Here we call Nicole. Mm-hmm. Former, yeah, former swimmer. Okay. And there's just one comment here. AFLW Chief Nicole Livingston said the league has planned methodically to deliver a sport worthy of doing the same, as in, uh, and earlier in this uh, article that I was reading earlier today, women's sport landscape has changed considerably since then thanks to a historic co-host of the World Cup in Australia where the Matildas captured the nation, right? And uh, Nicola Winston has said that she's planned methodically to deliver a sport worthy of doing the same as what the Matildas did. Quote, we have been thinking about how we build the fandom of the AFLW long before the Matildas were talked about. Yeah, the stunt yeah. silence is getting me as well. Yeah, I mean... Like, now... Look, if I, you take the words at face value, then... No, there's nothing I can take sort of go value. along with them. You know and that, look, hang on, Nathan, you know that's not to be taken at face value. Oh, I'm well aware. I'm yes. well aware. Okay, that's, yeah. And look, words at face value, it it holds up, and I can't disagree with it. Because, look, yes, we can say the Matilda's done wonderful things for football, women's football, and women's sport. If the AFLW gets into a position where it can do the same thing for women's sport, great. Sure. But don't try and use the Matilda's to grow your own game and try and detract from what the Matildas have achieved. And I've Thank seen you. some suggestions that the Matildas should be paraded around alongside the Netball World Champions and the Women's Ashes team on AFL Grand Final Day, like it's some ridiculous celebration of Australian sport, the so AFL what, Grand Final. Hang on. So we've got to go kiss the ring. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell the <laughs> AFL where to shove it. Uh, also, I, I, I think... Uh, I'm happy to now, How would that conversation sports? even go down? Like, if you're Sam Kerr, right, you go and knock on the door of, <laughs> on Emma Hayes. Uh, Emma, I know we've got a game against Arsenal coming up on the weekend, but I've got to jet down to Melbourne to do a parade at the AFL Grand Final. It doesn't work, do it, does it? Of course it doesn't work. It's a stupid yeah. suggestion in the first place. I'm going to be diplomatic and say, no, it doesn't work, and I'll just leave it at that, maybe. <laughs> if I say what I really feel, jeez, <sighs> honestly, whoever came up with that lame brain idea, <laughs> at the AFL is tone deaf and really they need to well they, I was going to say they need to get a hold of themselves but it sounds like they have been getting a hold of themselves for far too long <laughs> so there's a segue to Rubiello's in there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> oh hey, like come on yeah like ridiculous what you've just said there is just absolutely nuts okay if cricket and netball want to go kiss the ring great <laughs> we don't have to. Yeah, uh, as I'm, easy as that. As yeah, easy as I'm, that. I'm leaving it at that. Right. But and also for the AFLW chief, Nicole Dingston, to actually say, yes, I know you're town on the company line. I get it. But to say that you know th- that the Matildas have not been long talked about. Um, do some research, Nicole. The Matildas first got together in 1975. Mm. Well, so they've never been talked about since 1975. Well, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Look, the World Cup has opened the eyes of so many people to women's football. And as with any newcomers to anything, eating at those who are ignorant of the past, present company not necessarily excluded, but it's just the fact of the way it goes. And look, I think a part of that is obviously just trying to piggyback off the success of the Matildas. And yeah, 
as I say at the top, if the AFLW can turn in turn itself into a great beacon for women's sport, I'm all for it. But do it on your own terms and do yep. it off your own back. Yep. No, agreed. Agreed. So, yeah, and there's a lot of noise this week from the A-League uh, women's, which is good. Good to see that the um, momentum's still being kept up. But um, it's a long wait till October. It is. It is still, what, six weeks away till yeah. season starts. Five weeks for the women's. Five weeks away, yeah. Mm. So It is a long way away. But um, at least, you know, that's uh, that's the case around the world, though, with the Women's League as well at the moment. So the Women's League yeah, will start off in October as well, given that uh, the players need a break after a World Cup campaign. Because, yes, the World Cup was pushed back because of the Qatar World Cup as well. And, yeah, so a couple of things have gone into play. But one... Well, Sam Kerr's back in training now at Chelsea. Is she? Well, yes. So pre-season underway. Pre-season's underway at Chelsea. There you go. Um, and there have been some movements, and one in particular of note, going back to Mexico. And oh, favorite... we've returned already. That was yes. fast. <laughs> well, I feel, I feel, well, no, Dave, stop bringing it up, otherwise we're going to, I'm going to delay this. Because <laughs> we're going to talk about one of our favourite returns, Alex Chidiak. Mm, yes. Being signed by Tigres in the, uh, I think it's the Liga MX Women? Is it, I, I'm not sure if I'll it's I'll be honest, I have women. no idea. Yeah. Yeah. The name of the women's it's competition. The Mexi- yeah, the Mexican first division in the women's league there. Um, and they're a huge club, Dignus, in, in the context of Mexican football. And uh, obviously you've got um, the likes of Hermoso, who we've mentioned on this pod, playing in Mexico as well these days. So, yeah, it's uh, a league which is considered to be quite competitive as well. Yeah, and I think... Tigres would be in the conversation for the third biggest club in Spanish-speaking American North and South behind River Plate and Boca Juniors. Spanish-speaking. Yeah. Specifically Spanish-speaking. Yeah, 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 you'd be close. Look, um, Club America's pretty big in Mexico, not mm-hmm. today. But, yeah, um, yeah Tigres would, wouldn't be far behind. Yeah, because I don't think there'd be too many others from the rest of South America. Sure, there's big teams. Mm-hmm. But I think what Tigres and Club America and um, yeah, Cruz Azul, Cruz Azul yeah. is quite big in Mexico as well. So it's a big club. And Chivas turns and out Chivas, to be a great move. Chivas Guadalajara, we should mention as well. In Mexico, they're mm. quite large. Yeah, and look, I'll be honest and say I don't really know whether the big clubs in the men's side translate to big clubs in the women's side. Often mm. it doesn't, and there are some exceptions, I'm sure. Uh, but look, if Tigres are the big fish that they are in the men's Mexican league, then it should be a great move for Chids. And uh, really, the next step of her development as a professional footballer, and hey, another year, and maybe she gets uh, half an hour off the bench rather than five minutes. Something tells me that this football review uh, is um, about to kick off. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, speaking, uh, Football Australia would be getting over their hangover now, so obviously things are in swing because they did make an announcement regarding the NSD, the National yes. Second Division. Yes, I wanted to bring that up. Which was another thing that caught my eye. Mm. So um, I don't think we've any we've lost anyone as yet from the t- the remaining twenty six. Um, no, we did. Oh, we did. Okay. Yes, because this did come out late yesterday, but I haven't um, seen anything of note there with regards to the media release. Uh, unless there's some that I'm missing. Look, you can uh, cross check. Yep. Um, there was a, a good summary put out on Daily Subreddit, where there was the withdrawn clubs were the Bentley Greens, Blacktown City, Brisbane Olympic, uh, Coburn City, Gold Coast Knights, Peninsula Power, Playford City and Valentine FC. Some of those, I think, pulled out earlier. Earlier. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think one or two of those have pulled out from the 26th, unless I'm mistaken. We have confirmation bids from Arpia, from Avondale, which is great to see them progress because I believe they're the only team on this list that weren't a part of the old NSL. Uh, Also confirmed bids from Marconi, Melbourne Knights, Preston Lions, South Hobart, South Melbourne, Sunshine Coast, Fire, Sydney Olympic, Sydney United, and the Wollongong Wolves, which takes the total up to 11, which... I think they only needed 10 to get this up and running. So to get to 11 already, with still some teams pending, there's 11 or 12 teams there that are still pending mm, confirmation. Right. Yeah. And it looks like it's going to get all up and running now. The question is, is it too soon to get up and running in March? We talked about that last week. I don't know well, if there's that, enough time for these clubs to transition. And and that's where I was um, saying that I don't think that um, there have been any notable withdrawals from the previous round because... Mm. Um, I've seen that um, CEO uh, James Johnson has said that um, you know that Football Australia may explore a phased group-based model where the NPL would influence the composition of adopting a Champions League model. I get that so, you might have to do a Champions League model for yeah, financial first, reasons. Yeah, correct. But I mean, it's just a glorified NPL at that point. Really, it's just a rebranded NPL if you can do a Champions League format and. I don't think there's enough of a shock to the system there, enough of a change so, yeah. so they, they, to get people on board for an NSD. Yeah, so they're keeping that open. They're keeping their, their options open. Um, you know, they're hoping that it will feature you know, 10 teams, so there will be a cull. Um, but, yeah, it's just a question of uh, how many um, they'll be able to, um, to get over the line with regards to no, that. It's a minimum of 10. Yeah. I, they said 10 to 14 would be the range. So if they get more than 14... Great. Then they can cull some. Otherwise, um, the ones that have officially come out and said yes, we're a part of the next phase, then they can progress with the ones that have come out. And I don't think they cull twelve down to ten, for instance, unless no, there's something inherently wrong with yeah, the bids. Correct. But yeah, next phase, I'm all for it. And whether or not this actually gets fleshed out and actually gets up and running remains to be seen. But in any case, whatever happens from here on out, we can say that Football Australia have tried absolutely everything to get it up and running. And they've left no stone unturned when it comes to trying to set up a national second division. And yeah, agree. If, if it does fall apart, then I don't think we can have any real complaints towards Football Australia. No, I agree. In terms yeah, of the and, process. Yeah, and they've kept their options open with regards to, um, you know, looking at a, you know, a Champions League style format. Which would be divisional and you get the champions from each division to go and progress to a finals sort of thing. Correct. Yeah, correct. So... Yeah, we had Australia Cup uh, played as well this week, so with the quarterfinal draw out. Yes, yes. I don't like that the round's so spread out. Yeah, yeah. I think if all the games took place on a Saturday afternoon or across a weekend, it'd be much better. And look, I'll say I tuned in for RPR against Sydney. Mm-hmm. What was it, last night? Yeah, it was. And it looked, it was a good viewing, shame about the weather. Agreed. Yeah, but, it, was, it was a shocking night in Sydney. Yeah, last night. and I mean uh, Heidelberg were out at Mount Druid as well um, last night, and yeah, um, yeah, it was a shocking night. But yeah, I think if you schedule the games on the weekend, and yes, you have to play ball with the state leagues to try and reschedule their domestic capabilities, or not their domestic capabilities, but their league league commitments. If you climb over that hurdle, I think the Australia Cup would be a much better spectacle. Yeah, because. This is, as we mentioned before, something that only football has in its arsenal in this country. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think in the last couple of years, it's decreased in profile from where it was. Yeah. Yeah, look, I... And it's a shame. I agree with you to an extent. 
But I just yeah. think there's less interest in this competition now yeah. in the last season or two. Okay. Well, look, I think they'll they'll come up with another way to revamp it. They always do, and it mm. probably does need a bit of a revamp. I'm guessing that. I don't, I don't know where where it fell away, but maybe they need to look at broadcasting, like doing a round of sixty-four. Yeah, I think also tucked away on ten play is a problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and that's another problem. And do they broadcast them on YouTube as well on the I'm, Football I'm Australia not, channel? That I'm not sure of. I know that it's on ten play though. Yeah, because that's where I watched, uh, you know, a bit of the Mount Druitt versus um, uh, Heidelberg game. Yeah, and look, there was plenty of problems with Fox at the end of the last broadcast rights deal. We can we don't have to open that Pandora's box, but at the very least, I think there was more interest in the cup when they it was did, back on yeah. Fox. Yeah, they did a really they did good a job. great job of it. Yeah. yeah, they did. They did a very good job with the. Yes, I agree. I agree with you there. And they could have actually split that coverage or, you know, shared that coverage with uh, with a, a mainstream broadcaster, if I can put it that way. Just hate using that term. Yeah. But yeah. But the timing is always difficult with this competition. It is. It is. Because obviously with running, October yeah. to May and yeah. NPL's yeah. What, March to August, yeah, there's yeah. always going to be... An issue with that. Yeah, the misalignment of the calendar is an issue there. And I don't know what the long-term solution of that is either because I don't see the A-League moving to March to September, for example. I don't see it happening. As much as I would like to, and I think think that's what they want. For sporting reasons, I agree because the football is going to be better when you're not playing in the middle of summer. Of course it is. Yeah, I think that's what they want. The questions over a broadcaster and stadium availability is problems that, look, it's bad enough when... At the start of the end of the season, when there's a crossover with rugby and rugby league at, say, Brisbane at Amy Park as well, it's bad yeah. enough for yeah. that portion of the season. Mm-hmm. We can get away from it in, say, what is it, November to February. You move the calendar from March to September and it's year-round. Yeah, that's right. And look, we can all wish for dedicated football facilities like there is in MLS. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be nice, but it's a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, especially well, in Victoria. Yeah. Well, one out of 12 ain't bad. Western United. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. So, what else caught your eye, my friend? Good question. Good question. What did catch my eye? What do you make of the uh, Segatich loan to the Dutch second division? That. It's just that silence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, I was going to ask you about Lukaku loan to, to Roma, but okay. Yeah. Well, we, can, we can bundle them together, can we? Yeah, let's talk about Segatich. Go on. <laughs> Because there's a slot, there's another aspect of Segacic that I'd like to bring up. Sure. And Segacic, the uh, Sydney FC midfielder who's played not many games for the no. senior team. Yeah. No. And look, it's a good, it's, you can't, you can't fault going overseas. Of course. And if it's a place where he gets lots of football and who's on the coaching staff there as a former Sydney player, is it Pech Bowich? No, it's not. It's someone. No, boy. Let's help me, help Pech, me out. Pech Bowich is, uh, Pech Bowich is in um, Sydney uh, at the moment. Help um, me out. Who is it? Oh, dear. It's someone. Mental blank. Yep. I'm frantically looking up who it is. Pascal Boschgaard. That's, yes. Dutch international. Former Dutch yes. international. He is the assistant coach. Yes. At the club that Segerich has gone to, uh, Dordrecht. And look, if he's able to play a lot of minutes, it's a good country to learn football. Interesting that it is a simple loan. There's no terms of an option or... An obligation, anything like that. He will come back to Sydney at the end of the season, and uh, hopefully, he turns into a really good player that uh, Sydney can use for the season after. Because they've got so many good players coming through that academy, Sydney, but not enough of them are getting into the first team. Yeah, and and although they are selling some some talent overseas, 
Um, you know, it, it does happen, but this in particular around this time of year where you see how many players are, are uh, leaving Sydney, and it's um, so they're doing some some good little business with Who's regards this? to their academy players. Marco Tilio came through Sydney, didn't he initially? He went to yeah to Melbourne City after that. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole host of them, but mm. uh, well, look, there's Campbell and uh, Brighton and Home mm. Albion. Yep, yep. So you know, there's uh, a lot of good cases with regards to that. There is, and, and so, uh, there's yeah. a few good players coming through now, like Kaczarski, who mm. might be ready for the step up. We shall see. Indeed. Uh, the other the other angle to Segicic that I mentioned was I don't know if you've seen it, but the Athletic. No, I haven't. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Yes. They have a a little bit of a series, I'll call it. Right. Where they picked out six or eight players across the world. Right. And they're going to follow their journeys throughout their careers. Okay. And they picked Segicic as one of those six or eight. So okay. every so often, they're going to be writing an article about how he is and how he's getting on. And they don't mark it as something to put pressure on. Yeah, sure. They don't say that this guy's going to be amazing. This is one to watch out for, like some other publications would. Sure. And so what, I'm not here to I'm not here to build up the athletic or anything. Sure. But that's just what they're trying to do. But I can't help but think that it is going to sort of put some pressure on him. And sure. there's a lot of media attention surrounding this kid who should just be I'm sure he is focused on getting his head down and playing football, but sure. it might at one point or another be a bit of a distraction. Understandable. That is understandable there, Nathan. I I agree with you with regards to that. That it would may put some unwarranted pressure or you know, a bit of a spotlight when it's not normally uh, applicable. So, but look, these kids will just lap it up, the ones that are uh, being highlighted, because they're obviously all uh, quite talented individuals. Yeah, and I'll send you the links to the articles that they put out on him. Cool. And uh, I don't know if we can put them out on the socials or anything. Yeah, we'll try. Absolutely. uh, In any case, it's interesting to see a young Aussie player getting the media coverage, at the very least. So, Lukaku's a rover. Yes, Mourinho finally for the third he's time. got a club. <laughs> yes, Mourinho for the third time. Finally, he's got a club, and after burning pretty much every bridge under the sun, Romelu Lukaku, he's at rebuilt Stanford. at Stanford Bridge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that too. He's rebuilt one with Jose. Maybe that was the one that wasn't burned in the first place, the one left standing. But here he is reuniting after their time at Old Trafford, and look, Roma with Lukaku with Dybala. With other fantastic players in that squad, despite what Jose says, they should be aiming for higher than fifth. They should be aiming to win the league this season. Football heritage <laughs> is what is what the issue is at Roma. Mm. Um, but what was what it? Four different winners in the last four years? Yeah, look in Syria. There's, there's an opportunity there, right? There is an opportunity there. You know, I, I would hope that that Roma do give it a good shake this season. And you're right with the players that you've just mentioned. I like Roma so. But they haven't They're had a good, a good start. team. Yeah, they haven't had a good start to the season though in uh, in Italia. No, one point from two. But they're a good side, lads. They're a good side, and I don't know what to make of Napoli this season. I think it's asking a lot for them to rebuild and go again after last year. Yeah, especially losing their manager. Yeah, and Drew's out on Rudy Garcia. I don't know if Juventus can go from the mess of last season to league champions that fast. It's wide open, so they might be able to. Well, they might be able to, you know. <laughs> But I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. Yeah. Um, I think Allegri's lost his magic touch there, mm. unfortunately. But um, tell me this. What did you make of Edge's selections for the, for the League Cup, the Carabao Cup against Fulham? It no, didn't I... take long for the jokes to start coming out already about Tottenham and their allergy to silverware. 
Yeah. I mean, it's August that they're out of the out of a competition already. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> and look, and he, can, he can still win the FA Cup. He can. Hey, he can still win the Premier League. Unlikely. Unlikely, but he can. It's possible, just as it is possible that Luton can win the Premier League. <laughs> uh, no chance. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and play devil's advocate, but it's mathematically possible. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yes, it is mathematically possible, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> um, but Ange said it after the game, and I do agree with him that the League Cup, he didn't say it in these words, but he effectively did. The League Cup is really the only competitive environment that he's able to test the sort of fringe players in his team. He's right. And because, it'd be yeah. deemed socially acceptable. Where, well, not socially acceptable, but... <laughs> I get your he's point. Gonna get, he's going to get cancelled for rotating in the, in the League Cup. No. I mean, that if you do that and you put that team out against who they play on the weekend, and whoever it is, mm. and there's points on the line, then yes, he's going to get plenty of stick. Yeah, correct. You I do it in the League Cup where everyone plays their reserves anyway in probably the most disrespected football competition in the world. It'd be up there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's nice. It would be nice for Tottenham to win something this season. And judging off the uh, third round draw, there's going to be plenty of Premier League teams that are going out yeah, that's of right. this competition. So yeah. if Spurs had beaten, who was it, Fulham yeah, it was. to go through, then hey, they'd be in with a shot. But look, it's a long journey for Tottenham, and they still need some additions to their team. They need a striker. The pigeon is no good. Uh, the pigeon is not it. No, he's not. No, he's not it. And looks like they're in for another midfielder. I think probably they could do with a, another centre-back at the club as well, particularly if Eric Dyer moves on. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, the more that Ange can find out about his players, the better off he and the club will be. Yeah, and that's right. And what other, what other environment was open to him for, you know, for the club to do so? Right. So yeah. made sense. I mean, you know, the result didn't pan out the way that they wanted, but you can't begrudge uh, Ange for doing that. I think that it made sense to me. No, definitely not. And they're at Turf Moor this weekend, so they'll be looking for three points again, and hey, maybe they go top of the table. Nathan, I'm going to ask you a question. Go on. I like it when you ask me questions. All right. What do you think, or which derby do you think is the biggest derby in the world? There's a few that come to mind. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about this earlier tonight, actually. Mm-hmm. That they mentioned because I was watching the footy before. Right. They said that no two supporter bases hate each other more than South Sydney and the Sydney Roosters. Which, yeah, I mean, talk to me about Sunderland, Newcastle, or West Ham, Millwall, or Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, or I suspect is the answer you're looking from looking for from me, Boca River Plate. Yeah, I think that's the number one derby in the world. It's a bit of a hipster's choice. Yeah, because it doesn't get the same spotlight as many in Europe do. We, well, this, I mean, it's it's their second mention of this episode that they're probably the two biggest clubs in the Spanish-speaking side of the Americas, and that is the biggest derby outside of Europe, definitely. But it may even eclipse almost everything in Europe too. No, that's fair enough. Where do you put the elephant? What would you say? Mm, I'd have to say being the top five. But you would have had one in mind when you asked me the question. Well, I actually had um, the Super Classico that you've mentioned, right? Because, look, as good as Real and Barcelona is and Bayern and uh, Borussia Dortmund are, they are um, rivalries as opposed to derbies, right? Yeah, I think Dortmund hates Schalke more than they would Bayern. Well, but Dortmund and Schalke is more of a derby as well, geographically yeah. as opposed to um, you know, with Bayern Munich. And I think um, in any case, geographical derbies 
do take precedence over competitive rivalries okay. in I'll terms of their. Oh no, well, I'll, I'll roll that back because um, you can answer this: Is oh. El Clasico a bigger game than than the Madrid derby? Is there more hatred between Real Madrid yes, Barcelona yeah, than Real Madrid yeah, and Atleti? Well, there's more. Of, it's a stronger rivalry than than the uh, derby against Atletico Madrid. But see, mm-hmm. that's a rivalry as opposed to a derby. A derby should be, I think, in geographical terms, right? Like, for instance, Benfica versus Sporting Lisbon, not Benfica versus Porto. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, Glasgow, that's a proper derby. Rangers versus Celtic, same city. Yeah, it would be competitive, but it's also geographical, which is the best of both worlds. Correct. So, you know, because I was reading something the other day and it kind of triggered, mm-hmm. triggered just, um, you know, a collection of derbies uh, saying, oh, you know, which one was the... You know which derbies were considered to be the strongest, and um, yeah, and I noticed that uh, El Clasico was on there, and uh, but you know, the Clasico was on there as well, but they're more so rivalries, I think. Mm. I'll tell you what, it's not, it's not Brighton Crystal Palace. <laughs> well, it's not a derby, that's a rivalry <laughs> oh. for, for whatever reason, it's a rivalry, but yes. I think they would call it a derby. Brighton and Southampton is more of a derby. Or, you know, Southampton versus Portsmouth is a derby, not, you know, right. Brighton versus Crystal Palace. Brighton and Crystal Palace is a derby in the exact same sense that the Newcastle Jets and Central Coast Mariners is a derby. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> you can't call one a derby and the other not. <laughs> well, you can because there's no team between Newcastle Jets and Central Coast. <laughs> and there's no team between Brighton and Crystal Palace either. Well, technically, you might be right. <laughs> is there a team? Cl- and there's, uh, but you know, Southampton was closer to Brighton than what Crystal Palace mm-hmm. is. And a little bit further down the road, you got Bournemouth. Ah, uh, yes, I forgot about the Chiefs. There mm-hmm. you go. Yes. So, have we hit the back peg, Nathan? We haven't even gone through our leagues. I think we'll have to do that next. No, week. we haven't. But I did have one more thing for you. Oh, okay. One more thing, and look, this might turn into a longer chat. But it is a topic that we've talked about before. All right. And it's rearing its ugly head once more. Okay. And the story is, and it's early reports, and so it might be unconfirmed, but it's a good talking piece nonetheless. And you'll know why I brought it up as soon as I say it. But it appears as though that Chelsea are looking to uh, invest in another football club. Okay. Recently, they brought brought Strasbourg. Yes. Who are a big team in France. Yes, they are. And they shouldn't be existing to be the sole purpose of helping Chelsea out and hoarding players who can't get work permits in the UK. Okay. But a team that is also on Todd Bowley's radar is one sporting club to Portugal. You mentioned them. I was unaware that's the case. Mm, this is one of the big three in Portugal, 19 times league champions. They are a big club. They are a massive club. I would say sporting club to Portugal are a bigger fish in Portugal than Chelsea are in England. Comparatively, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Mm. And it's a disgrace that this is even being entertained. There, we're going to have to differ. Really? Really. Really? You you think this is all right? I've got no problem with it. I've got no problem with it. You've got no problem with Sporting Club de Portugal, this wonderful club with so uh, much history on. and so okay, much success hang, hang, hang independently. Are they changing colours to blue? No. Okay. So then, no, I have no problem with it. Why, Bob? Why should they only exist to serve Chelsea? Well, it's the economic reality of the situation, isn't it? Uh, look, it's not great. I get it. And, and I understand where you're going to come from with regards to, you know, European competitions and all that. I mean, we've had the same discussion around Nottingham Forest and, and with the Alcos, which is never going to happen, right? Where were we? Oh, that's right. We're talking about Nottingham Forest, who I'm filthy on, by the way. I can't believe they let that lead slip the other day. 
like for goodness sakes man <laughs> they had you guys they had you guys where you know in a great position two nil down you know at old trafford the world they was, too early the world was about to fall in yeah they did i mean it's, it's such a ridiculous thing to say in football and it is a bit of a cliche or so but they did they scored too early and they doubled down because they scored another one so early they're in real trouble yeah agree with that they did score too early <laughs> And, uh, and yes, uh, it was Mar- always a red card, and, and it was and, definitely a penalty. And Maranakis would have been absolutely pissed. They were pissed, and they wrote a letter to the PGMOL. Yeah, which come on. Yeah, but that, that's a typical Greek uh, club owners' uh, method. <laughs> protest, protest, protest. You can't, you can't protest every time you lose. But anyhow, we're talking about the uh, Nottingham Forest versus Olympiakos. Unlikely yes, to that wasn't the point. Europe. Yes, unlikely to happen mm-hmm. in Europe. But the sporting club is. Sporting Club Lisbon versus Chelsea, more likely to happen, sure. But they are two separate entities. They just happen to be by the same owner. So, for instance, let's say that you're shopping down the street. There are two shops. You don't know that they have the same owner. They might be selling exactly the same things. But one shop is red, one shop is blue. It doesn't matter. I used to think that uh, Mars and Snickers were like Pepsi and Coke, two competing brands, but... I was made aware that uh, they are actually on, under the same umbrella and they're the oh, same company. I never thought we'd mention Mars and Snickers <laughs> on this program, but there you go. Or Pepsi and Coke, for that matter. Mm, well, there you go. But Not that they're a sponsor. We, we, no, that's right. And we didn't mention <laughs> Optus Sport this week. Not that they're a sponsor. Um, but look, they can have the same. No. Also, football clubs are not commercial entities. Yes, entirely. they are. No, no, they're no, not, sorry, no, sorry. No, 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 no. no. When they're not the about, same no, thing Nathan, as a business. I'm sorry. No, listen. When you're talking about the professional space, yes, they are. Because if they don't, they get wound up. No, no, I disagree. A football club is not the same thing as a business. It's not. There is they, a community supportership. There's a community base. They are assets of the community in sure. the same, in the sense that businesses are not. Okay, what is the value of the asset? Like what? Okay. I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't like to do so, but I'm going to. What is the don't value? <laughs> Listen, don't be like that, right? Um, <laughs> what is the value of the community aspect to an organisation, right? Is that measurable? I think it is personally, but from an economical perspective. But I want you to tell me what, why you think these organisations shouldn't be looked at as commercial ventures when they quite clearly are and they're professional places of work and they're professional businesses and that they you know the owners expect a return on investment right and you know so where is the other gray area that you're trying to um to ascertain look football clubs are all those things not many of them are but they should be self-sufficient in an ideal world they shouldn't have to rely on their owners emptying their pockets to stay afloat right the vast majority of them require that unfortunately Yes, they should be profitable. Yes, they are places of business. Yes, they employ 50, 100, 1,000 people, depending on scale. Of course, they have commercial elements to them. But what they have that businesses don't is a real connection to the community, right? If, I don't know, Woolworths goes under tomorrow, the people who work there are going to be out of a job. Of course they are. And they're going to feel disappointed. Maybe not all of them. Maybe some want to get out. But by and large... The people who are out of work are going to be disappointed that they've lost their jobs. That aspect is the same as in football. Correct. But those pe- people in the community, I don't think there's going to be that many who would be out on the streets protesting, bring back Woolworths, bring back Coles, whoever it is. 
You're not well, going to see masses take to the street and beg them to come back into the marketplace. Okay. In the same sense that you would with a football club. Fair enough. And I think with that comes extra responsibility. And yes, they have owners. Yes, they have people who are expecting a return on their investment. They have a duty to their shareholders. Of course they do. But they also have a duty to the community and the people that they represent. And you can have both. You can have it both ways. Fair enough. I can't. Yeah, that's... And in an ideal world, in an ideal world, there will be owners beyond the current owners of the football clubs. Maybe yes. not in the case of Newcastle, Manchester City, and such. No, no. They might be they might, those owned two, by their current owners forever. Those two might be the exceptions to the rule in England, and you know, the Qatar is uh, with PSG. But when it comes to pretty much every other club that's not state-owned, there will come a point where the current owner steps aside. He's, they, they sell it, they pass on, someone inherits it, they sell it on, whatever. And for mine, they are custodians of the club as much as they are owners and investors. And that's where I sit with it. I think the social aspect, the community aspect, often gets overlooked and often gets put as a bottom priority where it should be on level pegging with the others. I think what you'll find is that there will be a, a um, an approach, a management approach to governance as well. And across sport and also the clubs themselves will need to adhere to uh, governance and uh, ethical standards and all that kind of stuff. So, But with regards to being measurable and feasible. I think with regard to the community involvement and obviously engagement aspect, the value of a club can be, I guess, estimated. And that's where the five million or five billion pounds estimate for menu has come from. Where it's essentially, yes, there's the share price, right? But the difference between what the Glazers want and what the share price is showing is effectively goodwill, brand recognition. That is the thing that's measurable with regards to the community benefit. Now, whether or not these clubs choose to engage with their community, that's a different thing altogether. But there is a value placed on that. So I agree with regards to the value placed on it. It's a notional dollar value and it you know, comes out as goodwill effectively. Um, but with regards to mutual ownership with clubs and this model that is becoming more prevalent, I don't fundamentally have a problem with it. I know that you do, but okay. Who's going to own these clubs if no one else does? You want the supporters to do it. Great. Why aren't the supporters, why hasn't the support, a supporters trust actually figured out what they can do about Man U? I think because it's impossible. In the case of Manchester United, it's impossible. Okay. So, but Manchester yeah. United is not symbolic or what's the word? The word escapes me. It is getting late in the day. Yes. It is, it is not indicative yep. of sporting clubs anywhere else in the world. The German model is what every other league should be striving for. Sure. A 50 plus one. I agree with it. And in England, I look to the case of Portsmouth and what they've been able to achieve since their demise. They are supporter-owned now, or for the most part anyway, and hey, they seem to be doing just fine. So I think it's not just a case of... It, the two choices on the table are not become part of a football conglomerate or go bust. They're not the two options on the table. Yeah. I don't think you have to become a part of City Football Group to compete. I don't think you have to become a part of Todd Bowley's enterprise to sustain and continue to operate in football in a football sphere. I don't think you need to be a part of that. Right. But I do worry that it's an extreme example, but in a couple of decades' time, we have a handful of conglomerates that are running football. Yeah, and, and City, City Football Group have a club in every country worth having a club in. And Todd Bowley has 10 clubs in his arsenal, and it does worry me for the future of the game. Yeah, look, I think you've raised some valid concerns there. But considering we're in a capitalist environment, 
you know, it's hard to regulate that kind of thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. As, as noble that's, that's, as those intentions are, Nathan. And that's uh, even before you get into FFP considerations and everything that goes along with that. Ah, uh, forget FFP. I'm going to have to get Kieran Maguire, I think, to explain FFP. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should get Kieran Maguire. Uh, dear. All right. Laz, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Rest. <laughs> <laughs> Father's Day. Yes, happy um, Father's Day to you. all the dads listening. Yes. And yourself, yes. Les. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I redemption. Redemption for Newcastle United <laughs> and another win for uh, Real Madrid. That's what I'm looking forward to. Another win, huh? Yep. Oh, they just keep keeping on, don't they? That's right. And look, the Champions League draw, I am looking forward to as well. Yes, unfortunately, it's in four hours' time, maybe three hours' time. As we record as we record indeed. Uh, but I do have some news on the uh, England squad since we okay, talked about it at the top of the show. Been released. The headline is that Jordan Henderson is in, Harry <laughs> Maguire is in, oh, Eddie that... Nketiah is in. Okay, that's good. And there's no space for Raheem Sterling. Well, that's shock. But seriously, mm. Gareth, what are you doing? <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Honestly, honestly, what is he doing? Um, uh, looking forward to Brighton uh, versus Newcastle and Newcastle's trip up down to uh, Brighton. And a good one. Yeah, yeah, it will be. And, and uh, Newcastle need to win. Newcastle need to win. And hey, if they if Newcastle lose this weekend, does the pressure start to mount a little bit on Eddie Howe? I think so. A little. Just a little. Like yeah, it's a un- little. It'll be uncomfortable. Uh, starting to turn the knob up on, yeah. the, uh, on the stove. Look, it's going to happen at some point, but I think Newcastle, um, yeah, I think Newcastle needs to win. And I think they will. Uh, and Real Madrid versus Hetafe. Hetafe are a pain in the ass to play, aren't they? Oh, they are, but um, <laughs> they're, they're they're a plucky team. They're very good at what they do. They are very good at what they do, indeed. So, how about yourself, Nathan? What are you looking forward to? Arsenal, Man United, both sides yes, better win. Yes, I. And uh, both sides have looked shaky to start the season to different yeah. degrees, but they both look shaky nonetheless. Yeah, one less than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, Leon PSG this weekend. That'll be a good game, actually. Mm. That will what be else have we got? Liverpool Aston Villa will be fun. That will be fun. And uh, Roma AC Milan. Uh, that's always fun too. Mm. Lots of good football happening this weekend. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Let's get around it. Indeed, indeed, indeed. We shall. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Back Peg. We've greatly enjoyed your company. I've greatly enjoyed yours, Laz. And likewise here, Nathan, as well. And thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, send us your DMs. Contact us at The Back Peg on X. Bloody X. <laughs> Go, Elon. And, oh, um, God. <laughs> and uh, at the back peg uh, Twitter uh, Twitter handle at the back, back peg on Instagram as well Great. So. send in your reviews as well we greatly appreciate them and any questions and any questions that and any indeed yes any questions send them in give us some topics to dissect as well give us your mm. thoughts ask us for our thoughts on different things that might catch your eye well we should do that in the week before we record what caught mm-hmm. your eye i.e. Mm. the listeners yeah no, that'd be good mm. that'd be good we, should, we should do that yeah, any obscure. Yes. Something that's, the more uh, obscure, the better, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Mm. Yeah, we touched on some heavy stuff today, uh, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's 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 been fun nonetheless, though, Nathan. Yeah, the most heavy was the story in the Liga MX from earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> on that note. Uh, see you next week, guys. See ya. <laughs> Oh dear. 
I was going to say that's a real shooter of a thing, but no.